0: Good day, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are, good night. Welcome <laughs> to another exciting episode of Real Tennis Fans. There will be no Harry Potter discussion. This isn't an episode of The Black Cauldron and, and is hair, so the rest of the show there will be no magic, no potions, no lotions, <laughs> no wands
1: <laughs>
0: in this conversation. But then again, it's tennis, so you never know, you know, <laughs> we thinking, have magic mushrooms. I have magic mushrooms. <laughs> But before I go any further, let me introduce my co-host. This is with the most We have Andreen from Soli Tennis Travel. How are you? I'm good. Very good. How was your life when you're not traveling?
2: Um, I will admit to having been in a very dark place yesterday. Um, and I just really needed to go outside. And I had like a socially distanced uh, brunch. And I was just like, this, was good. this, this was, good. was good. It was worth the risk. It was worth the risk. <laughs> I was too dark. It was too dark in my head.
0: So you get outside, but you weren't screaming at anyone like, this is my constitutional right to be, you know, at a restaurant. Uh,
2: No, I wore wore a mask the whole time. I sat outside. Everyone wore a mask to the best of their ability until they were eating. So I feel like we were doing what we could.
0: Okay, wonderful. And we have Janina from Farin, Ohio.
3: Hello, everyone.
0: Oh, talk for a minute. You ran away. I I didn't run away. (laughs) time to leave Ohio. Oh, you do it.
3: I'm good. I'm I'm living my best life while my child is away.
0: I mean, that's always <laughs> wonderful. That's always wonderful. When you're a parent and you can no longer parent.
3: <laughs> yes.
0: Just get ready, okay? Just keep savor this moment because probably in a few more years you'll be away. Well, you can't be away at college anymore because that's a dangerous place. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you're gonna have him forever. And there is real. But today we have a special guest. We invited Howard Bryant, who is a Joe Nadal fan. We're not going to speak on that. Uh, he is here with us to discuss the other, even madness and mayhem in the world of tennis. It seems as if tennis, even during a pandemic or whatever the case may be, tennis never gives us a break. So, Howard, how are you doing?
1: I I am good. I am good. Thank you for having me. Back again, and you know you know how to pick the week, right? Oh my gosh! We got a tennis union, not union, kind of union, breakaway republic. And
2: uh, that's a good that's a good analogy, actually.
0: A civil war, perhaps. I mean,
1: (laughs) it's wild, and and also uh, the U.S. Open kind of maybe starting up free major for Novak. Pretty much. So let's uh, have a
0: protest and a non protest. And, you know, we have
1: exactly the Osaka, non Osaka. (sighs) Right.
3: Yeah.
1: Out, but I wasn't really out. I just said I wasn't playing. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Can we start? Yeah. Let's start there, Howard.
2: What was, what's, um, what's your take on what happened there with Osaka? So the facts are. She declared via message app, because that was what I saw, (laughs) that she was withdrawing from her semifinals match. Yeah. In protest, but in acknowledgement, more just in acknowledgement of what was going on um, with the NBA and all the other players who were doing things in their respective sports, which we'll get to. But let's like stick in with the Hosaka piece.
1: Um (laughs) For me on the Osaka piece, if you follow, if you just follow the timeline, right? Yep. Now, timeline first, and then I guess backstory second. Yeah. If you, if you follow the timeline, the Milwaukee Bucks were the first ones to say they weren't playing. And then when you start looking at the Bucks, you know, the first thing that hit me was, okay, well, do the Orlando Magic have something to say about this since they're supposed to be playing? Is this a forfeit or are you guys all in, in communication with each other? Okay, so what's that? Then, all of a sudden, after that, you start seeing now the Rockets and the Thunder who are supposed to play next to them. They're like, yeah, we're not playing either. Then, after that, the Lakers and the Trailblazers say, they're not playing. And I'm like, okay. Then I got a phone call, I got one text message from one of my sources in, at the NHL going, man, how can you know how can the NHL not be part of something? I'm like, the NHL? Hockey? I'm, I'm, I was fully expecting hockey to play. And I turned on the TV, and they were in the middle of overtime. They <laughs> Flyers and the Islanders, were the game was already on because it was an afternoon game. And then I started hearing from my baseball people, they were like, well, you know, the Brewers are talking about not playing. I'm like, the same Brewers that had Josh Hader on the team doing, you know, his all lives matter white supremacist thing? And then, of course, it was Josh Hader who was the one who came out and said, on behalf of my teammates, I'm like, okay, this is all bizarro world. And then, of course, baseball went further. And while that was happening in between, Naomi Osaka put out her thing that she wasn't playing. And I was like, okay. And then the USTA, a couple of hours after that, said the whole day was being shut down. So, the, for the Osaka part of it, my initial reaction was good for her. I mean, anyone who's been following her for the past year or so knows that she has been rising in consciousness. You know, she is clearly taking a position where she's not going to sit on the sidelines. She has a feeling about this uh, and about where we are in the world, understood. Also, I thought her statement that was declaratively black was very interesting as a black woman. She said it many, many times. And I thought that was was very powerful and very clear. And I wonder when these things happen, are you making this clear to you? Are you making this clear to everybody else? One of the things that I thought was great about it as well was when she said, "I think it was it, there's more important things out there than watching me play tennis," which I thought was a wonderful and clever approach to the language. It wasn't her saying there are many more things than me playing tennis. She was talking to you, the public. Mm-hmm. You can to watch me right now. In other words, I'm not a tribute to the distraction. So it was like, okay, we got a real one. This is real interest in here. Okay. Then by the next day, after they weren't, you know, that they were shutting down for the day, I was like, okay, well, what does that do to Osaka? Does that mean that she's granted a walkover? But now since nobody was playing, there's no walkover. So what's that, right? I'm kind of confused. And so then when she put out her statement saying that she had been in communication um, with with the USTA and, you know, with the tournament, I was thinking, okay, did she already know that they were gonna that they were thinking about shutting it down, and she was sort of pushing it, or did they sort of bend to her will that hey can't be part of this? Um, that's the real interesting thing. And then for her to come back and say, well, I never said I was withdrawing. I simply said I was employing. Well, what if the day went on? You were withdrawing. You yeah. And you were offering, and, and you still granted the walkover. So, it, to me, what made that day really interesting was all the diplomacy, the negotiation, the public relations that were happening on the fly. And so it looked like nobody wanted to be the bad guy. Like none of the leagues wanted to look like they were the ones who were like, yeah, man, we're still just playing Mm because you got, that's it. But also in doing that, it struck me that the athletes at the same time didn't want to be as declarative as they wanted to sound the day before. So it felt like what really took place was it was a protest that sort of got muted into a negotiation that somehow got muted in from from wildcat strike to boycott suddenly became pause and day of reflection so there was there was a lot of stuff happening no doubt it was a, yeah, hot, I mean, I, a
2: mess it was a mess and i mean i think I, I was confounded by the whole thing you know i i really i mean i i you know i i was very interested to see naomi take that position but when i read the withdrawal when i read her response later to the pause i thought to myself well she's had a chance to sit down and talk to her quote unquote, elders or betters Mm -hmm. who have convinced her that she needs to take a different approach yes potentially right But then I also was looking at the larger community too of the other players who had been sort of inspired this moment, the strike conversation. What do you think happened there?
1: Yeah, that was one of the big questions for me. I was like, okay, when you're the USTA and you decide to shut this down, and I think this is really important. There were some people who said to me, well, it doesn't really matter what the impetus was. And I was like, absolutely it matters. Is this player driven where you're in the Milwaukee Bucks locker room and you got George Hill and Giannis saying, we ain't playing. And we don't know when we're going to play. Or is this coming from the USTA looking around and reading the temperature going, we're going to look awful if we have Black Lives Matter on the court, and <laughs> we're still making everybody play. Mm-hmm. So who's driving this is extremely important. And so to your point, Andrea, I agree. I was sitting here thinking, okay. We need more time to find out who's driving it, especially from a tennis standpoint, because I didn't hear any groundswell from anybody else saying we shouldn't be out here.
2: Nope.
1: I think that came from the USTA going, look, we're going to look awful if the entire sports league is shut down, if even the National Hockey League is uh-huh. shut down, and we're out here playing. And I, I, I think that there's some value in, the, in it coming from the governing bodies. I was getting phone calls from players from all, all sports the other day saying, well, wait a minute, why is this in the players' hands in the first place? If you recognize that something's wrong here and you recognize that you're painting Black Lives Matter and, and we skate for Black Lives and all this stuff, then it should come from the governing body that, hey, we're going to shut it down in the wake of what's happening. And, watch, and, and watching the WNBA as well, that's clearly player-driven. Yep. I, think, I think tennis was USTA driven. And I'm going to try to dig some more into that and find out just what that timeline was really all about.
3: I was well, so incredibly disappointed by the whole thing. Honestly, when, when Naomi said she was pulling out, I was at home cheering. And I'm not going to lie. I shed a couple of tears. I was like, it is about damn time somebody in tennis comes out and says what she says recognizes that this is a white sport and i have to speak up and i felt so proud as a black woman for her to do that because we know that's not easy um and then you know and i was aware of everything that happened prior to her making that announcement and i thought this is huge this is a big deal and and it's really interesting And I hope, I hope that they can be forceful and stand their ground. And then the next day, everybody's playing again. I mean, LeBron was like, I'm done. I'm not playing any more basketball this year. Clearly, to me, it seems like everyone was persuaded by the powers that be to play. And it's not a good look. From where I sit, it's not a good look at all.
1: You call Barack and tell him? (laughs)
0: <laughs> right.
1: Well, that was probably the first interesting well, that, move. That should
0: let yeah. you know well, that that, that mean, ain't a thing, right?
1: <laughs> oh, sorry. What did you say, Howard? Sorry. We've been, said, we basically you know, know that's where it's coming from. You know that Chris Paul and Barack and and LeBron went to Barack Obama and and when they went to the elders, the elders were like, "No, it makes sense to play. We were getting calls. Um uh, one of my editors over um over at Undefeated called me and was like, "Well, if they're only going to sit for one day, they lost the momentum. They lost everything." They didn't yeah. do- what good did this do? And I wasn't sure I agreed with that, because I felt like the presence of it was enough. If you go back to 2014, you know, with Donald Sterling, and everybody was like, yeah, we're boycotting, we're boycotting. And instead, y'all took your you took your warm-up jerseys and turned them inside out and threw them to half court. That's a big difference. <laughs> so to actually take the step of not playing, a thought was specific. But 100%, 100%, Janina, I just was sort of like, with you, I'm like, what what is the diplomacy and the conversations taking place behind closed doors right now? Who is yeah? Safe? I and, mean, it, clearly uh, it
3: was a big deal. It was a big deal that it happened, and they didn't play. I mean, that was huge, yeah. no doubt. We don't want to underscore that, but to have a complete change of heart after some I'm, meetings, I'm not. I'm not here for that. I don't like it. I
0: I, so- I just think, I I think I'm a little bit. I mean, I was I was like you, Janine. I was excited happy because and then I in the end I got really upset annoyed by the whole thing and then with some thinking on the matter I understood what was sort of happening here because she as we noted a while ago no one else was talking right that the other players weren't speaking you know, up we saw Milo fumbling on this idea and this discussion of what exactly took place but I was excited it was like oh yes you know this strong statement that you put out and I watched her throughout the week and she really did look frustrated and I was just like, why are you even out here? Why is anyone even out here playing? Particularly with what's going on in the moment, Corona. I mean, this is absurd, but she just looked, because, you know, she has this way where she's sometimes she's in the match and she's not un, in the match. You can't always tell with <laughs> Osaka. Like her face it's not always the most readable face, but you can tell that she was sort of like frustrated just in the moment. So to me, when I saw this statement, I was just like, "No, this makes some sort of sense to me. Why you were behaving? You were not necessarily you were playing good tennis, but you weren't necessarily positive about your good tennis anyway." And then the next day, but but I felt to me I I understood it to be in hindsight. I'm thinking, you know, she realized that it's just the only one. And and if she was going to continue this moment into in say, pulling out of Cincinnati. She had to pull out for the U.S. Open. She had to pull out for the rest of the year. Like, she had to have some sort of uh, measure. She, she had to have some sort of deliverable that she expected to happen. She had to expect something concrete to say, if she's making, she has to go full in. That this couldn't be a moment where she could be like, I'm just not playing today. Because, and I think that's probably what the conversation that she had in the, in the end. It's just like when you are here, when you're having this conversation, when you're, if you're going to do this, there has to be whatever you want. There's another way of doing it. This might not be the best way of doing it. That's what I took away from the, the conversation. And looking yes. back at the original statement, she really didn't say, I mean, it's true. Technically she did pull up and the other players, but I think the other players couldn't say anything because they would have looked like a dick. They couldn't say, Um, contact couldn't say, well, I'm in the final. Sorry, boo, you pulled out. but
2: Yeah, I mean, I actually don't think the USDA should have allowed her to come back in. I think her statement should have stood on its own as a withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And actually, they would have gotten themselves a final because then she withdrew from the final because she was injured. (laughs) So, I mean, like, I don't understand this. I don't understand. Yes, I think you're right, Howard, in the sense that the USDA looked at the optics of the moment and thought this doesn't work. And then, um, and then shut it all down. But that, that happened after she withdrew. So I think the withdrawal should have stood. Um, representational or whatever it meant, I think it should have stood. And then yeah, they should I have continued.
1: I agree. And I think that she should have stood by it. Yep. Especially considering <laughs> she pulled out anyway. She hurt her hamstring in the, in the match. And so I, I, I think that the, and, and I think Reels makes a really good point too, about how this is the question, right? What is the goal of pulling out in the first place? Were you going to pull out with one day left in the tournament or were you going to skip the U.S. Open too? There was, To me, there was no way she was skipping the U.S. Open. To me, I thought that when she withdrew, it was a one-day protest that was going to resonate and the fact that it is, it did pr- produce something unprecedented, you did produce a sort of wildcat cross-sport day of boycott that we've never seen in the history of sports before, that they all sort of piggybacked off of each other and shut, shut the industry down. I think there's a lot of value, um, to Janina's point, about there being, you know, this being a, a white sport and there being a need to, um, to, reflect, to reflect that by saying, I'm going to be the one to stand up. I also feel like there's a lot of power in, in you turning the cannon back on the white public and this attitude that you're here to entertain me and that's all you are.
3: Mm-hmm. I
1: I I like I like that. I like the fact that there the D Gordon with the Seattle Mariners said the same thing. He's like maybe maybe it's not time for you to be watching us. Yep. Maybe it's time for you to be watching what's going on in your country. I I thought there was a lot of value in it, but I do understand certainly the the uh the sort of split between does a one-day boycott have any value? Um I actually think I'm listening to, to LeBron. I saw a clip from him this morning talking about how, you know, he was prepared to sit out the whole seat. I, I don't honestly believe that. I, yeah. I, mean,
2: I, I mean, that's the thing. Can we, you know, cause this is the thing, you know, our last conversation, we talked about um, Colin Kaepernick and we talked about him understanding the full consequences of what he was launching. And I have to ask myself in this moment now, I'm not a labor historian, but I'm curious, like for someone who's written quite a bit about labor, Howard, like what is the strate- what's the approach here? What's the value of these things? Like, yes, representational moment, like a moment of silence, yeah, I think the players like a really, pause.
1: Yeah, I yeah. think the players are completely missing the boat on this. I think it started with Colin Kaepernick in 2016, when you know it goes, it always goes back to Donald Peer and Marvin Miller back with baseball back in the early days, 1966, 1975, 1981, all of that where, you know, remember Don Fear told me back in 2004, the game is not Red Sox-Yankees. The game is owners versus players. And where I think they made the mistake is that when Colin Kaepernick took his knee in 2016, you had a whole nother group of players led by black players who immediately went to ownership. And when Reels was talking, I was thinking about this, that you that, 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 that the the real battle here is to break down this paternalism of sport. This mm-hmm. that, you, you know, we you are given something that you're not earning, that you're not quite full partners of the, you know, of the American workforce. You guys are the lucky ones and you get to p- get played a whole lot of money to pay, to uh, pay a whole lot of money to play ball. And so I think that where I think the players have made a huge mistake was in 2016, the Malcolm Jenkins and Anquan Bolden and those black players, they immediately went to ownership. And it's like, why are you going to ownership when they blackballed one of your own? You guys have an unbelievable amount of resources that you can go to. Why are you running right back to owners? You heard LeBron when this thing went down. Well, I need to hear from the owners. And so, once again, they're not quite willing to break that paternalism, that dynamic of paternalism. And the other part of it is, too, is that don't you realize that when you go to the owners on this social justice stuff, you still have to negotiate contracts with them in your CBA. You still have to negotiate with them on other workplace issues. So... I think that they make a huge mistake here by sort of trying to decouple social justice and the rest of their, of, of all the other leverage things that they need when it comes to unionizing and everything else.
0: Black capitalism at work, I'm telling you, black capitalism doesn't exist because I think in this in this moment, and I think this is where I think a lot of these athletes are tripping up themselves, they are not willing to lose it all. Mm-hmm. They still wanna have their cake and eat it too. They wanna make these symbolic gestures. And if we're gonna go back and have the Montgomery bus bus ride um boycott <laughs> lasted for years. Mm-hmm. Like you really have to put in the work. And I don't know if they if they wanna understand the actual scope of the work that they that they're talking about, wanting to do in terms of social justice and the reform that they're looking for. And two, whether they're willing to sacrifice it. Because honestly. If they want it to be real, I mean, like, playoffs are over. This yeah. shit is done. Yep. I know. soccer should be able to, I'm sorry, I mean, like, I don't want to put this burden and pressure on her only, but really and truly, girl, if you're about it, be about it. You got to walk off. You got to tell them sayonara. You're going to do this without me. And put the pressure on not only the tennis on a whole, the other black players, because we're talking about
1: Players, by the way, did we... <laughs> about oh. they, 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 i about that.
0: They, I didn't they want to not... name any names, but you know how I feel about a certain set of people. Well,
2: <laughs> no, but you know what? No, but I think I think this is a larger question about. I think when there, because if I remember correctly, there was another side to the the NBA bubble, right? There was another side to it. There was LeBron and his group, and then there was the other right. There was another group who said, "Let's not do this at all." Yeah, right. Yep. And I think that group had a better, more accurate sense of the stakes involved in terms of long-term, the long-term stakes, if you're going to mount this.
1: Well, let's actually have a quick conversation about that. When we talk about this, I always tell myself when I'm writing, don't speak in pronouns. What, yep. is, what is this? What are we talking about? And is this drawing, is it drawing awareness? Is it saying, I'm not playing? Is it what is it? Because we know, do we honestly believe that let's put it this way, is it is it a is it a realistic thing to ask the players to simply not play for the rest of the year? I mean, we know COVID is a mess this year, right? We know that this whole year everything's up in the year, guys be opting in, guys are opting out, it's a shortened season, nobody knows what's happening, there's no fans, there's no vaccine. So this whole year sort of feels like it's sort of a, a mulligan, you know, like who knows what it's going to be. But we got some calls from the editors when we were talking about this, and, and, and it was like, well, what's more powerful? Is it more powerful to have that pause and reflection? Are they getting more currency? I mean, how do you feel about this? Is, do they get more currency out of just shutting down the season? And to, and to to what end, right? Okay. You stop playing for the rest of the year. What what did you accomplish by doing that as opposed to to pulling a wildcat for 48 hours?
2: I mean, I don't see for me, I think it's much more strategic to first of all, let's admit that COVID gives you an advantage.
1: Mm-hmm. It gives yep.
2: you a heavy advantage. Probably. So you're not you're not playing in a real season. I don't care what they say, asterisk, whatever, whatever, you're not playing in a real season. So it's actually advantageous for you to take the time. And figure out how you couple the things that you talked about, Howard, how you couple um, all of the other benefits of being a player during this moment with social justice and wrap that all together and recognize yourselves as laborers and connect the dots when the demand is actually quite, it's not as heavy as you think it is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There are you are it's an exceptional moment. And so you actually maybe have the luxury to say, you know what, let's all shut it down and let's get to the bargaining table and let's work out some things moving forward because COVID's gonna be with us for a while. Definitely- we have to think about player safety, all of these other issues are part are on the table, right? All of these things. So it feels to me more powerful to do that if for the long term. I think, yeah. yes, from a media perspective, it's symbolic and you get a lot more uh, leverage in terms of news and all of that that's on and off and all of that. But for me, it doesn't feel particularly strategic long-term. That's the part of it that feels less for me, and that's just my piece.
1: Well, and the other piece of that, too, tennis-wise, especially if we keep it to tennis because all this is happening at the same time where you have the Breakaway Republic, right? Yep. How many, How many tennis players we're actually like, this is an issue that's important enough to me for us to not play. Osaka was on an island. She was by herself.
0: She yeah. can also afford it. That's that's a big thing.
1: But, but Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, this, is the, this is the thing. This is this is where I think we're getting, for me, and I get really annoyed by this because so often, I, I get it, the, the capitalist part of it is really important. You know, the cost, benefit, whatever the case may be. And for top players, particularly the visibility, etc. But when people keep saying, you know, um, this idea about she can afford to do this, we're talking about people's lives here. You know what I mean? She's not fighting for like Elijah Locker Room. shes not saying I'm stop playing because, you know, I wanted more towels on the court. Uh, I want the light fixture to be a different way. She's talking about a system that exists where her father, where she herself, her sister, can be summarily killed, executed in the street. And there is no... Uh, there is no recourse for anything to this other system. So we can't be talking about, uh, I hate this idea of when we we, we we couple this situation with property and cost of lives. The other thing that is frustrating for me is that it's 2020 people. There are so many people out here doing the goddamn work about social justice. Players shouldn't be this ignorant. They shouldn't be this silly when they're staging this kind of protest. And I'm going to hate myself for saying this, but Richard Wright made this comment ages ago. He said sometimes Black people get angry, and they get angry like a child. And I hate saying this other thing. And this is, what this is. on a whole, this is what I see these protests end up being, is that you're upset with the system, and then you go to the system and tell the system, please do something if you want to. No, that isn't how power negotiation works. You're making a statement, be about it. Colin Kaepernick lost his bloody career, and y'all are still here fumbling the ball. Well, and when Colin Kaepernick, y'all should have been with him. This, this, this shouldn't have been a new phenomenon today. This should have been a four year struggle where people of color in professional sports say, Nope, we are not doing this anymore. You got to do something. Just coming up with a Black Lives Matter t shirt and a sign, because look. Look, WT, um, WTA and tennis was like, you know, like, yeah, we're all Black Lives Matter. Look at this powerful statement and picture Serena walking out of Black Lives Matter. And these, they had a perfect opportunity. Osaka gave them a cake and they dropped that cake. They were like, here is a picture with some people, some women, this is diversity. They made no statement. She was speaking to a specific incident and the WTA, ATP and ITF had nothing to say about that situation at all. Okay. So this is a good, this is
2: a good transition moment to talk about the Republic breaking away the Jovac Djokovic piece, because I think this connects to this larger question, but both you and Howard have raised reels, which is what, are, who, why are you negotiating with owners when you are trying to establish a playing field in which you are going to be taken seriously as a worker? And what does that look like? Does it look like what Novak Djokovic is attempting to do with this new uh, group that that has just finally announced at the end, which is interesting. Novak Djokovic announces at the end of the Cincinnati final, after having won it, that he and a number of players from the council, the players council, are breaking away to form a new group. And what is the name of this group?
0: PPE, PPPI, PPTA, Professional Tennis Tennis Player
2: Association. Yeah, PT. The Professional Tennis Tennis Player Association. Now, I'm going to. Yes, I'm going to say right away, I am not dismissive of this effort because we cannot have just spent forty minutes talking about the value of players thinking of themselves and thinking about their needs, trying to figure out that landscape. And then be dismissive of this endeavor.
1: Yeah, I'm not dismissive of it at all. I mean, I I'm I'm wondering how it's going to work, and I'm yep. wondering, I'm wondering what the reaction is going to be, and I suspect that the reaction is going to be the same thing it was back in the day when you know when certain tournaments, you know, when when the ATP was founded, and and. and you know, when Jimmy Connors and those guys wanted to form their own and then they weren't allowed to play. So I think you're I mean, I think that the whole question of boycotts and stuff, you're going to see a lot of that. It's going to be like, listen. Novak and John Isner and Vasek Paspisil and the rest of those guys are going to find out that I believe that what they're going to do, that what the ATP is going to do is they're going to try to go as long as they can and not recognize them. Yep. And the. And the only way to not recognize, the only way to fight not be recognized is to say, okay, well, Shanghai, I won't be there. Okay, year-end finals, I won't be there. And you're going to have, and if you can start to build some form of consensus amongst, if you know, you've got five or six of the top 20 players, we're not going to be at Indian Wells. And that's how you earn your seat at the table. And that's how you, well, not even earn, that's how you force your seat at the table. Because if you don't do that, then why do you have to listen to this new organization? Um, you're going to rely, essentially, it all comes down to, it's like, it's like labor cup all over again, right? It's going to be Federer and Nadal leaning in and hoping that the industry is going to back them, but neither one of those guys is going to be playing in five years. Exactly. So the real question is that who's got the long-term power? Who's got the long-term leverage? Um, you know, I mean, I, I still feel that what this is really all about is the fact that I think that the, the, the players already have a seat at the table. They're already yep. there, but mm-hmm. they lose, but they lose four, three. When you only have three seats in the tie break and you're not really sure you can trust the tie break. Do mm-hmm. you really have a seat at the table when you're going to lose four, three on all the, t- on all the tough issues?
2: And then, so, so the strategy is, Le- figuring out how to leverage this other body. That's right. So that you actually force the hands of both the establishment. Because I think there are people the misunderstanding. Player. Yeah. And the, mis- the player establishment, because I think there's some misunderstanding here about what has actually been formed. The ATP, as it exists, still has player representations blended yeah. in it. So, this, in some sense, is actually not a union right it's it's not a union yet it's a it's a structure being created parallel
0: and it's on a separate tour as
1: well
2: and it's not a separate tour it's not it's not any of those things that we've dealt with in the past
1: no it's right? a, it is a it's a rival it's a rival factor within the a t p yep and today
3: they're um, letting us know that they're in talks with the women, and that is huge. Well, that's what
0: Vasik Pasbasil says quite often. Well, we should be
3: able, but we should, given his position and how he's worked closely with Novak, we should be able to trust that.
0: Well, quite often, <laughs> well, I mean, Vasek well, honestly, no. has been bringing us the wrong news. No, quite but, often,
2: but I mean, or what it is, it's like it's usually um, corrective, a corrective. Because if you're starting out and you're saying that you're representing players, you you start out by saying you're in conversation with the women from the beginning, and right. so I think even the, the the rollout of it has been poor in that sense.
1: Well, I actually wonder about that because I I when I heard the announcement of this and I didn't see the women involved, I was like, okay, who got to who got to Vashik Pospisil, because the email,
2: the Twitter feeds. That's all. <laughs>
1: No, well, no. I mean, who got to them previously to say we're going to announce this without women? Yeah. Well, you know, the rollout has been poor. I mean, yeah, and
0: the picture that they send. Yeah,
1: it's the really pictures. strange.
0: And, uh, the picture that they showed and saying this is who they are, this is this wrong. Not a single woman was not even in the stand, just watching the business happening here. So well,
2: let's let's also let's also connect the dots a little bit to what what we talked about previously. I don't know if you saw Novak Djokovic's statement in the newspaper. I think it was the Guardian. Well, one of the interesting points he made was to demonstrate a lack of player power was exactly what happened with the USTA in Cincy, yep. is that by turning the day off based on just one player, Osaka, and not consulting with the players for a freezing of the day, he thought that was demonstration also of the players' lack of um, um, power in, in in this negotiating space with the USTA. I'm not entirely certain what he would have wanted. I guess he would have wanted the USDA to have circulated a quick question <laughs> or survey. Well, I thought he
0: felt, I got the impression that he felt that he wanted to be consulted on this yes, matter. Like yes. He he wanted to feel you like, you know, like, those guys, a lot of those guys don't want Black Lives Matter on the court. Never mind shutting down a day. Exactly. I, uh, and and we see how, how they're very fumbling on this idea that racism and this issue is an American issue. This That's is right. an American thing, specific to the United States of America, not the non-American region. And this doesn't happen in Europe.
2: It's Meanwhile, you're putting
0: refugee watch- on a boat and putting, sending them adrift in the ocean. Okay,
1: well, what, what were you saying, Howard, about that? It's clearly it, what? Because clearly the, the European players don't watch soccer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: also, I think this is also why it's so strange.
2: You are separating and creating a rival faction... To talk about player voice. And yet you're not connecting it to the grand history of labor voices, of social justice issues. So is this really about player voice, or is it more about you not being perceived as
1: exactly. power? It's about power. The real question for me is gonna be I'm waiting to hear something that addresses the issue of the lower ranked players. I mean. Let's face it. If you really look at the structure of tennis, it's the Washington Generals. Everybody, mm-hmm. else there. Everybody else is there to feed the top three or four guys, right? Especially in this era. In the previous eras, in the W, from the WTA standpoint, no. WTA, I think, has a real. They've got a real money structural issue because nobody now that Serena is not killing everybody. You don't have three people, and you've never had you know, anybody have the sort of dominance outside of Chrissy and Martina and maybe, you know, Graf uh, Graf and Celis, where they just dominate the whole damn thing for 10 years, right? You just haven't really had that. So on the WTA side, you've got a real great opportunity to address what happens if I'm 48th in the world or 60th in the world. How do I live on this sport? But from the men's side, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do because the balance is so sloped toward the top three guys. Right, it's not even sloped toward the top four guys. It's sloped toward three players. <laughs> and so it's going to be. I really want to see what the John Isner, Pospisil, Djokovic plan is. That's going to differentiate what we're already seeing from the ATP. Is it simply that we're really sick of having to defer to Roger and Rafa, and the fact that these guys are so establishment, nothing gets done, or do they really have an idea that listen? If you are ranked 50 and up or 50 and, and, and higher, right, you cannot live in this sport. You can't have your own physio, your, you know, you're your hitching rides with the richer players to get from place to place, all of those different things. Um, that is the real stuff. There's real stuff happening in terms of the economic structure of the game. But I want to see what they actually have to say about that. What is the plan?
2: Well, you know, and I'd be wary of that plan because in the, I mean, just politically, the group that you've just named, I mean, at least in terms of their political external <laughs> support, <laughs> doesn't support things that focus on people who don't make yeah. money.
1: Who don't make money, exactly. And here was the other thing about that, too, because I don't... Remember, andre, were you... Which Wimbledon was it? Was it 13? Were you at Wimbledon in 13? The... the uh, the Which slaughter was, year where everyone lost, where everybody lost except Marion Bartoli. Yes. <laughs>
0: 2013. I
1: think it was 2013. It was a yeah. bad year for everybody. Wasn't wasn't that the year where it was that that was also like the equal pay question in the first week where Jill Simone went and did his thing and yeah maybe I think it might have been that so, year. When but Jill he's
0: Simone. always on that bandwagon anyway. Yeah, so but he's
1: on that bandwagon because he spe- he's he's taking the bullet for the other guys. We got to yep. remember. Yeah. The, pl- the male players don't really want the women around. They don't. No. They don't. Month, you know, that's not a small number. That includes Federer and Nadal and the rest of those guys. You know, so deep down, what's this? What are you really talking about if you've got that faction that's like, oh, man, you guys play three sets, we play five. And we're the ones driving the engine, even though that's not actually really true. Um, so. I, like I said I'm fascinated by this I want to see sort of how they how they deal with those issues because it's not like you know Novak has been known for being you know the most progressive toward you know the women on the WTA side either I mean it's not like Andy Curry's doing this. so what are they you know how did when you say we're talking to the women what is your plan to incorporate them into this Oh, <laughs> it was
2: actually I just looked it up it was 2012 it was 2012 it was, it was 2012, 2012 actually. And it was actually, um, I think, yeah. Look, we women have fought so long. Sharapova was around as well, so it was 2012 when that happened. That
1: was the right. So, one. what do
3: you, th- what do you think, Howard, about how this was rolled out? I mean, we we said it's messy, but do you think it's a smart move to just go ahead and say this is what we're doing and not share the details, or should it have been more transparent?
1: Well, I'm always skeptical of anything um, that includes people who are in the news for sort of infamous reasons. So we already know how John Isner feels about stuff, you know, politically, racially in the country right now. We also know that Novak got horrifically embarrassed this summer with his anti-vaxxing and his also, and the atria tour, right? So you've got two of these different examples where you've got two guys who roll out now The timing of this sort of strikes me as, um, I don't want to say anti-PC,
3: but
1: but it certainly feels that way. Yep. It it, it certainly feels like what they're really saying is, um, you guys are going in a direction socially that we don't like. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, we also understand that the rest of these issues have existed for a long time. We already saw it with Chris Kermode. We already saw it in all these other different examples when it came to the player council and then Gimbel Stubb got bounced and he was out. So this stuff has been roiling for a long time. So I'm not only going to say it's just the timing here, but but I think andre's point that, that COVID gives you cover to do a lot of stuff. COVID gives you cover to sort of remake things right now. So I, I think that there's... As as skeptical as I am about the timing in terms of what's happening in, you know, on the racial social justice front, I also think that the coronavirus is giving you cover to say, look, we can start getting some stuff while everything is in flux right now.
2: But I also think it's a dangerous time for that reason, because if you do you do this when tournaments could fold, I think you end up playing with a very small number of chips
1: yeah well and that's the other thing i was on the phone with uh with my old school temple university my undergrad and they were telling me that you know one of the reasons and they're like look we're not callous we're not trying to be monsters here but we are looking at the numbers and if we're going to be at 30 percent capacity and if we try to do 70 80 90 percent 100 remote learning you are going to see schools fold there are going mm-hmm. to be some universities that aren't going to be able to operate anymore. And the same thing has got to be true. Uh, Let's face it. When we're talking about tennis, how many of us have been in our house watching an afternoon match and there's nobody there. And you're like, okay, (laughs) how how on earth do these tournaments survive? Is the economic model so powerful that you get to make up for a week's worth of empty seats and day matches Mm with, with, with a Saturday, Sunday final. That, that makes up for all of that. I mean, the margins on these tournaments have to be really, really thin. And to the point of coronavirus, number one, there's no vaccine. Number two, even when there is a vaccine, when are you gonna feel comfortable being around 20,000 of your closest friends? Mm-hmm. Now, when are you gonna feel, when is America or when is the world going to feel comfortable Gathering in large groups once more. That might be another six months to a year. After. You really?
0: I'm sorry. depending on which. I don't. I don't know if that's true, Howard, because people are all gearing to go. I mean, Brooklyn. Even Brooklyn had a um, street party recently. Yeah, you're. And right. I you're mean, right. political. I mean, I mean, look at those players for the um, Big Ten. They wrote to um, NCAA and tell them, "How dare you take away? This is for their life, and we need football, and well, they that- need." To- but I think we can't even because- keep the bubble safe. That's the craziest no, thing. Right.
1: People no, you're 100 percent right. Real yeah. people, people do want to get on with it, but people want to get on with it right now because the weather's nice. Yep. Because the number... I mean, <laughs> how about being how about being, enough how about being indoors and going to movie theaters and all that stuff? I mean I mean I'm I think I'm I, I mean I, I actually think that this is the one area where things sort of have shifted. I think a month Month and a half, two months ago, nobody was really willing to like go on a cruise. But I do think that people are starting to get a little stir crazy, and they're starting to treat it a little bit differently. But I, I still feel like the Dallas Cowboys came out and, and announced that they were going to try to go thirty percent capacity. I think Clemson football said they were going to try to put what nineteen thousand fans out there. Yeah. You already saw what happened with Alabama. They opened up for a week and had seven hundred cases. <laughs> yep but
2: so I they think, don't care though. So I think the thing that's interesting about listen, the dis- as you are very happy to say reals, the disease doesn't care about your ideology. So whether people are feeling cabin fever, cabin fever will not impact whether you will get the corona, right? So things the reality will play out as it will. What I do think is interesting just given the nature of tennis and the the history of how the ATP has um, been structured is I think the ATP is in a very precarious position from the tournament side, yep. which is that the tournaments that are around the table will not be there anymore. You will not have a full table, which I think is actually quite helpful if you think about what was lobbied with Federer's you know, hint on Twitter. If the ATP gets together with the WTA and they reshape the tournaments that are actually profitable. You cut a bunch of tournaments termin- tournaments out, but that's the space that you already hold. You mm-hmm. already hold that space very comfortably. So whatever thing that Novak and the other players are doing on the side, regardless of that, you still have the leverage power that you currently hold with the tournaments and you need to give the tournaments permission to close down, do whatever needs to happen, and reshape.
1: The um, But the more tournaments you contract... The more competition there is for to be in
0: the, tour. And the price less money, money and beyond the tour,
1: the less money there's going to be. Yep. So, to your point, Andrean, you're playing with fire right now when people aren't sure what the economics are going to look like going forward.
2: And I say, you know what? The irony, and this is when I think the rubber meets the road the irony is that you're actually going to collapse the field of players that are going to have a viable yep. living so that push that you were making before where i to wanted to save other people
0: players. you're gonna to have to let them go and this is the thing that they're refusing to do right the people in that group with the ptpa whatever it is they hate social justice they hate social reform anything that look like social welfare and one of the things that they need to do is some sort of structure that is going to make the sport viable for even the lowest ranked player and you have to help those people no, when you have people like John Isner in that crowd, and they're pulling that out sort of vibe, like, and everyone believing that they have actually worked for this money, and it's it's for them only, this capitalist impulse, it's not gonna work because Corona is anti-capitalist, and she is she, she's on that track. She don't care. She's not interested. Lusa, in Corona deals.
2: is here to kill all your tournaments. <laughs>
1: well, it's, to kill, it's to kill you in your industry.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, look at look at where I work. I mean, not that anybody's going to shed any tears for Disney, but movies, sports, theme parks, and cruises, that's kind of in the bullseye of what it does, right? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of wipes out the whole game. So, um, but it's re- like it's, it's, it, it, it is true. And I think that, the let's face it, if we're really being honest about the viability of being a professional tennis player, right? The season's too long. There are too many things on the calendar. And the wealth gaps are too great, yep. right? So if you if if you were taking the pool of say 8 I don't know is it 5 billion dollars is it the, how big is the tennis pool right if we know football is 15 billion dollars what is tennis 6 billion 5 billion whatever it is if you took that pool and you wanted to create something far more equitable and you wanted to create you know more mandatory tournaments or whatever your top you know your you know your number 1 players you're probably cutting 55 or 60% of the tour off.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're going to have to do.
1: That's what you're going to do. You mean, you know, those those, you know, 100, you know, those 128 draws all of a sudden you know and 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 playing those 250s? Forget it. All that. I mean, you can see it right now in baseball, right? Baseball wiped yep. out the baseball wiped out the minor leagues. And out of tune-up tournaments for Grand Slams, okay, you could make an argument that there are very many 250s that are essentially minor league tournaments. Yep. Mm-hmm, right? Yeah, Right. could make that argument, right? I mean, I really do love a lot of the 250s that are after Australia. Um, you know, you've got Rotterdam split in there, that's a 500. You've got a couple of 500s in there, but most of those tournaments before you get to the French, they're 250s. Uh-huh. Right? And so, um, what do you really want to do with those tournaments?
0: Uh, well, know. maybe you might have to, but how about? But, but I think one of the things that people talk about when it comes to tennis and the top one making money is that we need to actually differentiate endorsement from actually prize money. Because, oh, right. uh, and like in other sports where um, tennis, I think, is the unique sport where m- most of the money that the players are seeing made, like Serena has a trillion dollars, et cetera. Most of that is endorsement. The prize money is very limited, the salary, actually, as opposed to because they don't, there are no guaranteed contract, right? You have to win to, to win, to win, right? You win, you make more money. But I think what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to distribute the tournament. You cannot show up for everything. Uh, you're going to have to distribute. If, 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 it, if it does, in fact, exist still, right? If all these tournaments still exist next year and we deal with corona effectively, and that is a huge if. Um, we are going to have to be spread it out, if you're uh, on it. Well,
2: the- I think quickly- you do the opposite. Janina, go ahead. Look
0: because-
3: how quickly the tournaments, though. Look how quickly Cincinnati and the U.S. Open redistributed their prize money to benefit the early rounds. But only because they had less people.
1: Because yes. Europeans weren't coming.
3: Yes. That's, see, but
2: that's what I'm saying is, what you have is an opportunity, and I think this is this is why it's a dangerous zone. And I think in the end, they already told you where they wanted to go. Remember, they wanted to get down to seven hundred players. That's what they yeah. wanted.
3: Okay. This already started.
2: This is it. This is the transition. Is what you're going to end up with is the thousand tournaments, the 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 masters level, the ones that are viable and can afford it. Which yeah. Shanghai is one. Indian Wells is one. Miami, maybe not. Mm -hmm. You're going to end up with a very collapsed feel of the very rich thousand tournaments that can sustain themselves and may even end up being that 1,500 they were aiming for. Some of the 500 ones that can last. And then you're going to cut off the ones at the bottom.
1: And kill the rest, right? And you're going to
2: kill the rest. And what you end up with is a very limited but also very tight tour that, I'll be honest, will play very well on TV.
1: And be way more competitive. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It really does come. Challenger is gone. Why don't you just, you just say Thanos was right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right? No. Oh, that could be the name of the episode.
0: <laughs>
1: I, mean, I mean, seriously, what are we really talking about? You're talking about chopping half the people out. And when you start looking at that, and I'm glad, Andrew, and you brought this up because this was so precisely. I'm working on a, on an essay right now really more about baseball, but it's so much um, the other sports as well, right? You know I feel that that serve clocks are fascist. I know that you guys think Rafa takes way too much time, but I think that I think it's harassment. I mm-hmm. think that we're watching a match. i never seen anybody who says, you know what, I didn't watch this match because a server took 36 seconds to serve a ball. I just, however, the TV people, yep. you know, When you go talk to the TV people when I'm at Wimbledon, we're in the green room. All they're doing is they're trying to tighten windows. That's why they don't want to play. That's why they want tie breaks now. They want everything to be contained. And if there's one if there's one calendar that is generally completely unruly, it kind of feels like it's the tennis tour. You don't quite know where everything is. It's all spread across the world. You know, you're starting to see, to Janina's point, you're already starting to see a lot of really good players play challengers anyway. So there's going to be a place for them to kind of do their tune-ups, and and you really could, you know, envision a very streamlined, almost elite tour of Grand Slams, Masters, one thousands, and Masters, and then upgrade to Masters fifteen hundreds, and yeah. you may have, and that may be it.
3: I and wonder if also, we would like
2: that. I would love it, but you know the ultimate irony is this thing that people thought was going to save the bottom of the tour actually propels them, them to cut, cut off the bottom. Cut of it, it, it off, yeah.
0: But my thing with this sort of situation is that when people say Thanos is right, I really hate when people bring up movie yeah. villains, our white bros <laughs> villains, to make real life analogy. But because, but no, but it is, it's not. No, it's not a no, Thanos no, wait, wait, villain. Wait, wait. But you no you know, Thanos no.
2: is a, is an ideology it's a domi- it's a it's a, a it's a population ideology right you
0: know, yeah. but i would say okay. all that sounds really cute in theory but here's the thing Thanos we don't have to talk about it there but there will be bodies you see how Absolutely. how how Marvel <laughs> does with it just you just disappear into ether right but that doesn't happen in real life and here is the thing because if we adopt this because this kind of ideology isn't just going to go into tennis we're going to see this ideology adapted into social welfare programs into the right, real world it's political sphere. It, it
2: already happened. It's
0: already happening. So I'm, I get that, but what I'm simply saying is, is that like when we're talking about and reimagining these things, we really have to hold people's feet to the fire and say, you just can't snap your fingers and eliminate fifty percent of the people. But you
2: can. You do it. They, they snap their fingers and eliminate school districts all the time. Snap their right, fingers and eliminate I, benefits programs all I'm the not, time. I'm
0: not simply saying I'm not saying that this doesn't exist, but understand that when you do that there are consequences and we yes. have to really deal with those consequences we just don't get to snap our fingers, school district disappear and that be that well, right there, there are real life consequences as a result of that that well, becomes another issue
1: yeah 100 real and also and you know anybody who spent any time in the san francisco bay area knows that when you go drive mm-hmm. under the bridge and there's a whole bunch of homeless tents and yes when you're trying to, to think about this in the right way. I was just being cute about it, right? But you're 100% right. When you're looking at... I look at it also the flip side, too, right? And that is part of the reason there's so much tournament is because they a lot of things got bloated, too. Mm-hmm. They got greedy. Fair do we, enough. Do we really need 32 football teams right now? Probably not. Do we really need 30 hockey teams and 30 baseball teams, especially when most of those teams are garbage and you sort of know that from. A, I mean, like, it, here's, here's the real deal, right? If we're really talking about this, what is the number? How many players, whether you're talking a three-set match or whether you're talking about a five-set match, how many players are really, really, really good enough to win? Not many. When you start really breaking down who's really good enough, to you need somebody else to play. Yeah. And that's the hard part here. Now, when you get... I saw Brad Gilbert came out the other day during the Osaka match, and he said that he believes... He believes in the WTA. On the women's side for the U.S. Open, he believes as many as 30 to 40 of the... Yeah,
0: I heard him now. saying that.
1: Wait, 30 could, could, 40 could win that tournament. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, I believe when you're watching Grand Slams, obviously, you know, over this era okay, this era has just been ridiculous, right? And I don't know if this era is the aberration or if this era is the future. I tend to think it's the aberration, even though it's a very, very long aberration. How many, is its it 20? Is it 10? How many of the men do you believe?
2: Five. Five.
1: Five. Five. Five tops. Right? So then what do you do economically over the course of a calendar if, you don't have a spread out tournament, you're killing a lot of jobs as tennis players. Because mm-hmm. the reason why you have that big 250 level is to give more people a chance to win tournaments. Right. Because the Dal and Federer and Djokovic, they're not even at. I mean, how many? I think they only, I think Federer only plays a couple of 250s and he plays, what? and those are the grass ones, right? Even though I think, I think the Jerry is a 500. He's a 500, yep. But, very few, you know, I think Nadal will play a couple of 250s on the, and you know, I think, although Acapulco's are 500. So I think he played, um, uh, one of the tournaments he played in South America was a, two, but th- those guys aren't there, which is why Monfils can win a bunch of 250 tournaments, right? So it's, when you really start looking at, at, at what is being proposed economically, especially if we're not back to normal inside of a year, this tennis calendar is going to look very, very, very different, and it's not going to be pretty. It's not a joke. You're right about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the tournaments, the 250s, are really the ones that end up being kind of lead-up and special tournaments. You know, like Qatar Open, Auckland Open, like anything yeah. that's just before, a tur- just before, like, yeah, a slam.
1: Yeah. Australia is all 250s before they open, isn't it? No, yeah,
0: for no, the Brisbane most part. Brisbane is 500.
1: For a
2: good chunk, the Adelaide International, Auckland Open, those are ones. Any ones in the small towns, like, you know, Sofia Open, those are 250s, Estoril. So, you know, like, those tournaments, in some ways, you might even recast them as home tournaments. That's just for home people.
1: Basel gets the 500.
2: Yeah, but, you know, yeah, Basel gets the 500 and all of the other ones, Stockholm Opens. But you can imagine, in some ways, in this new vision... That those tournaments, especially in like a COVID world, those become a closed unit for just the local talent to be discovered and nurtured. But then when it comes to something like a big international tournament, then you may be paying with a different landscape. Yeah, But
0: those numbers, and also the thing we should bear in mind, those numbers, 25500 it's about the amount of money that they can actually offer.
3: So it's not just about
0: the ranking point. It's, it's an, an organizing scheme I mean, and please note that we, WTA, we beg you again. Every time, please fix the number point structure. We don't know. We can not have even pre- to
1: fix it, WTA. Just join with the <laughs> ATP and create a new calendar. Ooh, every, time look, every time I look at it, I'm like, okay, that's a premiere. That's a seven. I'm like, okay, how many points you get for winning
0: this? <laughs> yeah. Just and I mean, it's like- always some odd number, right? Like <laughs> yeah, a 900, like- a 950. It's like, what? Like...
2: What so let's, um, <laughs> so we know that, um, so we know that, um, we know that you have to go Howard. So um, what do you, what do you, what do you want us, what do you want the folks, our listeners, like what are the th- kind of maybe three takeaways for us to think about in this moment? Um, about, uh, we covered a lot of issues. we covered protests, we covered um, labor rights, <laughs> and we covered <laughs> lots I kinda, of things.
1: I, I just think that the, the, the one thing is, is that that sort of, perfect storm, all bets are off now. I really want to implore people to think, especially us as writers as well, to think about the implications of what this COVID period is going to do to these calendars going forward to all of the sports, and especially tennis. We're going to look back. Instead of looking back at these years, at this year, and going, oh, well, it was a throwaway year, there's going to be a lot of people taking... It's almost like when the market crashes, a lot of people do some buying. That's when they like the best buying off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to see... What the effect of this sort of crazy 2020 year is going to have on the future going forward, also very much looking forward to seeing to seeing what happens in the, you know, in the WTA going forward as well. I want to see what's going to happen at the French Open. Are they still playing? It feels like they're going to. So although you know, they just
0: the got a, lead a lead on, huge on jump the over here with, with COVID., yep. so yeah. I don't know if that's even going to happen.
1: Yeah. Um I I actually thought and we I can't believe we went an entire an entire hour or so without talking about Serena, but I do have to say, even though it was sort of a bizarre match for her, she actually looked like she was fitter than I'd seen her in a very long time. She, she does like look Serena's good. Does she look pretty good?
3: Her consistency does not look so good.
1: No, it doesn't. It's still
0: doesn't. I get the impression she doesn't care. Like she yeah, is just like uh, you how keep do you saying, saying that. that but... Someone
2: doesn't care when they have half a lung and they're showing up with their babies in the middle of a pandemic.
0: You know, what, <laughs>
1: the question is: I will, I will leave you, I will leave you with this question. When it comes to Serena, it's the great, it's the, it's the, the I call it the Mount Olympus question, which is: How long do you want to play when you're not whooping ass on people the way you used to? Yeah. I mean, we saw that Lendl was like, "Yeah, top ten, not good enough." Roddick was like, "Yep, not good enough." I mean, there are some guys Skiavoni, well she she won a major, but she wasn't always great, but she played forever. She didn't, she just kept playing.
0: I think but, she, I think I think with the money issue, she needed to get money in her pocket. Like yeah, yeah.
1: But I have a hard time believing that Serena's gonna be cool being somewhere between nine and fifteen or nine and twenty. I don't I don't know how long she wants to do that. Yeah, and I agree. That look that she was that look she was given where she's like, why on earth, how on earth am I losing to you?
0: You know? Right, mm-hmm. why am I in that third set? Like, yeah. how can I not close this out?
1: You know, I'm losing to Maria Sakari. You,
0: yeah, and I meanwhile, like, Sakari was throwing in double falls like it was Maria Sharapova like it was <gasps>
1: maybe Serena got
2: triggered by those double faults. She's like, Wait,
1: am I playing Maria or the other? Right, you could see Serena was looking at her going, I'm trying to lose and you can't beat me. <laughs> It was bad. Well,
3: thank you, Howard, so much I, for joining yeah. us. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a good day.
0: Thank you so always. much. Always.
1: All right now. Bye. All right.
0: So ladies, that was a very good conversation. I feel that there is more to say, but I think something Andre always says, we can't know what we don't know. So we can't be out here speaking on a lot of things when we need more information. Um, I know people are looking forward to our draw show, but I'm just simply saying if Federer right now here. There is no tennis, just saying. So we won't be having the U.S. Open. And technically, the U.S. Open draw came out when there was a pause. So technically, that draw (laughs) doesn't exist. It came (laughs) out on a Friday when there was supposed to be no work. So we do not recognize an unofficial draw put out during an official draw um, work stoppage. So U.S. Open starts on Monday. Andreen, you won't be here for Labor Day. Wah wah wah! We won't be having uh thing. Do we need a draft show? No. I,
3: mean, I feel like it's a protest. Yeah,
2: I'm I'm, that, I'm. I'm happy to. I'm fine listen, with that. I've been quietly protesting the presence of tennis, um, which is not the idea of a protest. I think the whole idea of a protest is to say it out loud that you're protesting. But I'm. Um, I'm willfully not watching tennis because I actually it's been don't very think it's clear the right to
3: wheels and eyes. It's yep. been very clear to Reals and I that you are protesting tennis. I agree <laughs> to. I agree to you. Know,
0: I, way- I have to say that I did watch a lot of tennis this weekend. Sorry, this week, um, I suffered through as much as the Milos and <laughs> what's his name, um, Djokovic.
2: Djokovic final, which final, uh, which apparently Milos had chances to win. Apparently, that's what I heard.
0: Yeah, Milos totally ah. full said at breadstick, and you know it's one of those things where it's like you see a top player. And you're beating them, and then you're going to get in the second set and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's just like, boo, like, you didn't start spraying the ball all over the place. But anyway, um, I do say that I do feel some level sort of guilt because I'm just like, this is stupid. We have a pandemic going on here. We have a lot of issues. You people are not um, doing any real work to fix any of these issues. We shouldn't be watching you hit a ball. And then when y'all do try to talk about the issues, you're really stupid about it. God... Trying to have Patrick and what's the other one named? Brad and Pam and oh my God. It's like, yo, tennis is really taking the leadership position. And what? Listen, it's
3: been really weird. It's been really weird to see any sports in general. It's been really, really weird. I think it's going to be interesting when and if this is over to reflect on this period. I think we are going to I think we're going to learn a lot from this to be honest i really do across the board in sports and in, in how things operate um but it's really weird to watch a tennis match and have the seats covered up and no one's there and it's odd is that it's odd really is that really odd for tennis though the first couple of episodes you know what cut it out Andrew, And there's usually at least 10 people there <laughs> But this this whole this whole experience of sports and COVID is mm-hmm. weird. It's really weird. Um, so I don't. I mean, I think it will be better talked about after, over, right? yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Sports in a time of COVID. I mean, I will make this claim because I, you know, since this is a podcast where I can sort of explain myself, I'm not opposed to people trying to earn a living. I'm not opposed to people trying to have some sense of normalcy. Um, I think I'm not saying that we should all be joyless. And if tennis brings people joy, they should be allowed to access it. Mm -hmm. Personally, for me, I don't think the United States deserves tennis. Thank you. Because I think that we have done a very poor job of trying to manage COVID for the most vulnerable and for essential workers. And I think that's where our efforts should be. And so if we were a functioning country that was doing well, I would say, sure, try to do the sports thing. Right. Um, if medical workers had PPEs, if essential workers had PPEs and masks to, at their disposal, and if we had tests aplenty, and if, if all of those things were in play in COVID, um, I would say, sure, I would welcome the distraction. But all it feels like to me is robbing, robbing the poor again. It's like we're robbing. It feels
3: irresponsible.
2: Very much so. Very irresponsible to me. And I also think it gives this administration cover to pretend that it's doing all the right things. And I think we need to really say you are not doing the right things. And I'm going to let you know that you're not doing the right things by telling you that this is not the way to expend any resources in a city because the reality is they are expending resources. I'm sure there's security. I'm sure there are tests that they are taking from somebody to do this. Right.
3: (laughs) It's just all of those. Yeah. They're (laughs) testing on a schedule. And I'm going to tell you somebody that works in healthcare every day, there are not enough tests here. There are still not enough tests, but we have pro athletes who want, who, who's, Yes, this is their job, but listen. Even the athletes that don't make a lot of money are making more money than me. And or if they don't have money,
2: Mina, they could be lobbying for that for other people. But they're taking
3: away from people. Their job is entertainment. It is not essential, and they're testing on a schedule. And that, believe me, is taking away from sick people who actually need to be tested. But That is happening, and it's something that we're not talking about because we have people um, in power in this government telling the country and the world that we have enough tests. We do not. We don't.
0: But I, I think we need to, uh, and this is where I'm going to, we need to hold people's feet to the fire with this idea because these are, it's all for capitalism. It's all for someone to make a profit because if this is really to give people jobs, as tennis wants to say, people need to earn a living, y'all would have had number rank 700 on the court there. Exactly. You would have had that guy out there. But that's not what, who's there? It's the top players who are not necessarily, I mean, Dominic Team told us it, right? He ain't stabbing. He got money. He just don't think he should be giving that money to the people. And I think right. this is, so we really need to be having this conversation, really putting this conversation in perspective. I mean, and, look and. and it's crazy, places like United States of America do say trying to have this conversation and trying to put this on. it's insane, and not only is it irresponsible, it's reckless. people are going to get ill and die, and
2: yeah. people who can't afford to get Ill, Ill and die, yeah exactly so and so for me, I mean listen it's it's a small thing. it doesn't matter to anyone else, but it mod- it matters to me and my social conscience, and i just i don't think I don't think it's a good use of resources. I really don't, and I don't care that you get to. Do a hashtag and you get to celebrate your faves or any of that bullshit. Because you know what? And this whole thing is an asterisk year. I don't care whether it's unpleasant to hear that it's an asterisk (laughs) year. The whole thing is an asterisk and the reason why it's an asterisk is because people are bloody dying. It's not an asterisk because the top two guys ain't here or any of those other ridiculous, silly reasons. And oh, should we have asterisk all the Australian Opens? I don't know. Were they during a pandemic too? I, mean, <laughs> I know. Those
0: dumb ass yeah. questions. People, people didn't shop in Melbourne <laughs> that because they couldn't get there. It's because they didn't like, want to yeah. go there.
2: Yeah, and it's like, oh, should this be the opportunity for Serena to get her twenty-four? The fact that you all are asking about Serena getting to twenty-four when 180,000 Americans have died and somehow it's going to be validating in some way when she's already the damn goat. I mean, who cares? Mm-hmm. Why is that your preoccupation? I just don't like, it's not, she'll get the 24 when she gets to 24. And if she doesn't get to 24, it who doesn't cares? matter if she gets the 24. Okay. <laughs> like it's not worth any of the risks involved to put on this silly ass tournament. And if they are putting on this tournament so they can, recoup their losses, and then distribute that money to the players who couldn't come, I would say, you know what? Maybe, maybe it has some merit. But this is just to bank and
0: shore themselves up. And I get it, because
2: they're a business.
0: And for few people to bank. That's the problem. It isn't for everyone to bank. It's for few people to bank. And like I said, Corona, COVID-19 is anti-capitalist. And whenever you try to push this capitalist model onto her, are uh, him, are uh, it. It doesn't work. It. Yeah, I mean, so
2: it it is as 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 our fearless former first lady says. It is what it is, and it's an asterisk year, bitches. So, <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, Andreen has spoken. All right.
0: So look for us. We we might be having another episode as more information come to light and discussion in a couple sure. coming weeks. I don't imagine that we're really going to necessarily be fully invested into the tennis. Um and be giving you play by play. I, I just don't really care, you know. Listen, I...
3: the truth is we don't want to.
2: Yep. We don't want to. It is what it is. Because guess what? This is a fan account. It's a fan yeah, it's right. a fan thing. So we're not trying to earn points to get we into do a what tournament. We want.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 They're not bitches, Janina. Oh sorry. They're fans sorry. with a Z. <laughs>
2: Oopsies. I know you're on
0: timeout. I
2: did. I did Oopsies. lead. I did end with the bitches too. But you know, I mean, I love talking <laughs> with Janina and Will. This is something. This is a. This is a safe space for us, for us to express ourselves. But the reality is, we really care a lot more about other things going on than tennis. We'll be really honest about that. You know, we loan lots of people in healthcare, and we know that they are not being tested,
0: and and also we're not safe. You know, like they're not rich job industry is closing now, but yet they're not providing resources for people to survive. So oh. <laughs> um the final word, I just want to say probably because well, mostly because we've had a whole big black Panther special, we just want to in the loss of not only 180,000 plus people who have died, 80,000 people who've died from Corona. And that those are people who have been officially, um, oh. officially counted. So many people die as a result in comorbidities and, Surrounding with this, that they're definitely not counting, but also a lot of this we saw the death of Chadwick Boseman, um, who recently died from colon cancer, and it came out that during the four years that you know during all of you know he sort of blew up on the screen, he was dealing with this health crisis, and we live in a country where healthcare isn't free. And that's just sort of like put encapsulate that whole idea into that thing. But we just want to say special, you know, to his friends and family and to all those who are mourning in his loss. It's really such a sad affair that he passed away. And particularly in this time when you can't even reach out to people physically to be, you know, to comfort them and to console them. So it's really a sad affair. It's just people. This is the sort of reality and world that we live in. So
2: I was very sad. I'll be honest. I was very sad. Because I think obviously we don't know him personally, but I think he captured a character on screen that was um, that expanded people's imagination, Mm -hmm. you know, people's (laughs) sense of possibilities and the world that um, they created in Black Panther. And it was beautiful. I mean, we talked about it. Of course, on our special podcast.
3: And so, yes, please go back and listen to that 10 hour long podcast. uh, To that wonderful
2: Black Panther. We had special guests. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was fun. Um, And so, you know, I will admit it was very dark. Um, When I read that he had died, I felt very dark because it felt like another light. What's
3: next? What's
2: next? (laughs) It felt like another light out in this metaphorical (laughs) space. Right. You know what I mean? What is 2020
3: going to throw at us? <laughs> That's what it felt like. Like, what right, uh... else is going to happen?
0: Because I, I think he encapsulated a moment of, I mean, there I say, black joy in this dreary place of America. And I mean, in the world writ large on about black and brown bodies. And, and he black thought, excellence. And black excellence. He sort of like, brought that encapsulated in mm-hmm. the imagination of black bodies on screen, mm-hmm. which is one of that, that whole project. Yeah. You know, it's not just Bozeman, you know, but the designer the director everything sister, Right, a-
2: all of them the sister the <laughs> relation the women the women on the screen the beautiful dark skinned women on the screen
0: he, he would be forever you know encapsulate hold that whole thing together and he wasn't even the most interesting person on screen all the time you know, <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> So, just one of those things. So, but you know, he would be missed. You know, but he's still the figurehead for that. So, thank you for listening to um, oh. Wakanda Forever. Wakanda you. Forever. Oh, Wakanda is Forever. It, has anyone seen Monfils? <laughs> has anyone seen Monfils? They should check No, Anna. he's in
3: hiding.
2: He did. He did put out a post though. He did put out a post.
0: Okay. See, all right. His, his wife Andre, follows him all the time. <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> so. anyway, not good day.
3: Good night and good day, and it's been a while since we have gathered in this space, so I do want to share with everybody that we currently are um, on Amazon in their podcast section, so you can now find us pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. No excuses. No excuses. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, We're not
2: going to shame that one person who didn't know that Janina was not on a podcast. (laughs) Ooh, right.
3: Someone actually told me you should go start your own tennis podcast. There aren't enough, and I was like, "Wow."
0: <laughs> Maybe they already listen to you and they don't even know. I a what? whole bunch of like uh, intellectuals that would send in their work, and someone would tell them, "You should read so and so work," and they'd be like, "I am so and so." I know that was that was quite funny. Here's
2: okay, time. guys, time. Time. But not even that. We're just the podcast of people. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: All
2: right. Bye. Bye. Bye.